0: Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. I'm Anthony Buzzard, inviting you again to search the Scriptures as we continue with our investigation of the Christian Gospel, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. I'm sure you know that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised King of Israel, and that he was the bearer of good news. Jesus came preaching what he called the Gospel about the Kingdom. Today we seldom hear much about the Gospel of the Kingdom. It seems that many think that Jesus came to do only three days' work to die and to be buried and to be raised from the dead. but that's quite untrue to our biblical documents. Jesus came, as he said himself, to preach the Gospel of the Kingdom of God. That's the reason for which I was sent. Luke chapter four, verse forty three In that verse, Jesus gave a declaration of his whole intent and purpose in being a preacher. It was to proclaim the good news which God had given him, which God had commissioned him to preach. And that good news had a definite label, an identity marker. It was concerned with the topic of the kingdom of God. Many commentators on the Bible have observed that the kingdom of God was the keynote topic of Jesus' whole mission, It was the driving idea of his entire ministry, but could that be said of today's preaching of the gospel? Somehow Jesus' gospel, the gospel as it came from the lips of Jesus, seems to be very much lacking in current presentations of the gospel of salvation. There's only one gospel in the New Testament. It is consistently the gospel as Jesus preached it. Hebrews chapter 2 states with absolute clarity that the gospel began to be preached by Jesus, And what gospel was it? Well, evidently, the gospel of the kingdom of God. We have a lot of free literature on the nature of the gospel, the definition of the gospel in the New Testament. We'd be happy to send you an article entitled, What is the Christian Gospel? if you request it from us at the telephone number or the address to be given at the end of this program. Meanwhile, you may be wondering, what is the kingdom of God in the New Testament? The answer to that question can only be given if we're willing to search out the roots of the kingdom of God idea in the Hebrew Bible. You see, Jesus did not invent a new concept. He came into Galilee and spoke to his fellow countrymen by urging them to repent, that's to say, change their minds and their lifestyles, and to believe in the gospel about the kingdom. Now, it's a matter of plain common sense that you don't tell people to repent and believe in the kingdom of God unless they know what that kingdom of God is. Now, the term kingdom of God was one of the most distinguished and famous phrases current in Jesus' day. The kingdom of God was the great national hope of the people of Israel, that's to say those who believed in what God was doing in his revelation given in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. The kingdom of God was the great objective to which all of the prophets of Israel looked forward. It was the day for which every human being ought to prepare with all urgency, and so when Jesus announced the coming of the kingdom of God in the future, he was announcing something that was well known to his listeners. There was a day coming when the kingdoms of this world would become the kingdom of God. It would be a divine revolutionary government to be established on this earth. It has nothing to do with disappearing as a disembodied soul to heaven, That would be quite foreign to the idea contained in the kingdom of God as Jesus spoke it. In order to search out the meaning of this key phrase in Jesus' teaching, the kingdom of God, we have to go back to the Hebrew Bible, which is the source of all that Jesus taught. Jesus did not invent a new religion. He came confirming a pre-existing religion. It was a religion based on the promises made to Abraham and to David, in the book of Daniel, chapter 7 and verse 27, we read of a time coming when the kingdom is going to pass into the hands and the control of the saints, and it's going to be a kingdom under the whole heaven, not a kingdom in heaven. One of the greatest mistakes that Bible readers make is to suppose that the kingdom of heaven means the kingdom in heaven, and a kingdom to which you go as a disembodied soul when you die. Nothing could be further from the biblical truth. The kingdom of heaven, if you define it properly from the pages of the Bible, means the divine kingdom, the heavenly kingdom, the kingdom that's coming from heaven, which will be established on the earth. In Daniel 2, verse 44, we read that the God of heaven will establish a kingdom. But it's a kingdom, if you'll read the whole of chapter 2 of Daniel, which supersedes previous world empires. The kingdom of God is indeed a world empire that's going to arrive when Jesus returns to set this kingdom up on a renewed earth. That's the kingdom for which we're praying, Thy kingdom come. We're praying in the Lord's prayer for Jesus to return and to fulfill God's great program for saving the world from disaster and for granting immortality to those who love Him. The kingdom of God will be the kingdom supervised and governed by the Messiah. And when a kingdom is given to a king, it's also given to the people who give allegiance to the king. Those are the Christians. The Christians in the New Testament are those who join themselves to Jesus, who believe in his kingdom agenda and prepare themselves to take part in that kingdom of God when it arrives with Jesus in the future. When Daniel said the kingdom and the government and the greatness of the kingdoms were to be given to the people of the saints of the Most High and also to the Son of Man. He was talking of that great event of the future when world government and world empire would be under the control of Jesus the Messiah and the saints, that's to say the faithful of all the ages. Now many of the saints and the faithful of all the ages are clearly dead at the present time. They're simply waiting in the grave, but they're going to be woken up from that state of death, from that sleep of death. Daniel 12, verse 2 is a key verse in this regard. It says that many of those who are currently sleeping in the dust of the ground are going to wake up in resurrection, some to the life of the age to come. That's to say, the life of the age to come of the kingdom of God. The age to come is the same as the kingdom of God, exactly. These are two alternative ways of speaking of the same thing. The kingdom of God, that's to say the kingdom, the world government, the world empire, to be established on this earth is the heart of Jesus' gospel message. He simply says, the time is at hand. You have only a few years to go. We don't know how long we're going to live. We don't know exactly when the kingdom of God is coming, but we're to be prepared for it. We might have to face that kingdom today. If in fact we die and rest in the sleep of death, the very next second of our consciousness will bring us face to face with that kingdom, either to be ushered into the kingdom as a fellow ruler with Christ in the first stage of the kingdom, the thousand-year reign, or to be rejected and burned up, to be blown away as the chaff in the wind, as John the Baptist said in Matthew chapter 3. There are two destinies laid before every human being. In the preaching of John the Baptist and Jesus, either to be ushered into the barn of the kingdom as the good wheat, or to be cast out and rejected as the chaff. The barn or the bonfire, those are the two destinies laid before us, and we make our choices now. The wise thing is to repent and to believe in the gospel of the kingdom now, and to make the right choice, and with God's help, to make our way through life with that grand goal of a position in the kingdom of God before us, that's the simple story in the challenge which Christianity puts before us. Christianity, that is, as taught by Jesus in that Jewish environment in the first century. The gospel of the kingdom is the great truth that needs to reside in our heart. It's the seed message which initiates the very life of God in us and prepares us to gain immortality in the resurrection or, if we survive until the coming of Christ, to be caught up to meet the Lord as he descends toward the earth and to join the faithful of all the ages who will then be resurrected in that great kingdom of glory to be established on the earth. What has happened, you may ask, to distract people from that simple goal, the prospect of ruling with Christ on the earth, as Revelation 5 verse 10 so clearly states? Well, a scholar in Britain recently wrote the following... He said that the whole of our Western tradition has contrived to give death an altogether inflated significance. There's been a vastly exaggerated focus on death and the moment of death. And so what has happened is simply this. Jesus looks forward to the resurrection of all the faithful at one time. That's the time when Jesus comes back to establish the kingdom. We in our traditional theology tend to think of individuals going to heaven when they die we focus on the moment of death Jesus and the apostles focus on the moment of the future resurrection and on the kingdom to be introduced into the world at that time the scholar in Britain says that the whole of our western tradition has contrived to give death an altogether inflated significance there's been a vastly exaggerated focus on death and the moment of death And that great and exaggerated emphasis on the moment of death is reaffirmed and instilled in people's minds every time they go to a funeral service and hear that so-and-so has already gone to heaven. According to the biblical way of thinking, that person is dead awaiting the resurrection. The only escape from death offered in the Bible is escape through resurrection, and that resurrection is destined to occur only when Jesus returns to this earth in the future. The real focus then for the Christian should be on the return of Christ to establish the kingdom and to raise the dead. But such is not the way that we often regard it today. A subtle change has overcome our thinking. There's a difference between the way we think about our future and the way the Bible thinks about it. But the change from the biblical view to the current one was a slow process. Do you know that in 150 A.D., A leading Christian spokesman said this, If you meet people who say that when they die, their souls go to heaven, do not imagine that they're Christians. End of quotation from Justin Martyr in 150 A.D. You see, at that time it was regarded as a dangerous mistake to think that souls went to heaven at death. And yet that dangerous mistake, as that spokesman for Christianity in 150 A.D. considered it, is now current, normal, thinking, In Christian circles, something has happened to alter the way we think about life and death, and it's a serious alteration, indeed distortion, of the biblical view. Now, how did this alteration and distortion of the biblical teaching about what happens when we die come about? Well, the answer is really very straightforward. It was the Greek philosophers who argued that when we die, our souls do not die. Our souls, the Greek philosophers taught, are by nature immortal. They are innately immortal. And so when the body dies, the soul goes on living consciously. Now the Christians absorbed that false idea from the world of Greek philosophy and began to preach it as though it was part of the Christian faith. And that tendency is still with us today. Every time you hear that someone has gone to heaven as a disembodied soul, You're not hearing really the teaching of Jesus at all, but that of the Greek philosophers. The immortality of the soul idea is no part of the Christian creed. That was a quotation from another leading biblical expert. The immortality of the soul, he said, is no part of the Christian creed. And it's no part of the Christian creed, he went on to say, to divide the soul and the body, and to say that the real man The essence of his personality is a separable soul which needs to escape its body. All of that comes from the world of Greek philosophy. It was Plato and the Greek philosophers who taught that the real man resides in a so-called immortal soul, a part of man that goes on living even after he dies. If you'd like to find out more about the nature of man and what happens when we die, We invite you to request from us our free booklet, What Happens When We Die. We'd be happy to send this to you for your own personal Bible study at home. Join us again for our continued discussion of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.